Hello, welcome to Remember the Film, the podcast where we're here for a good time, not a long time. Uh, I'm your host, Josh Bradley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jeff Grizz Ulrich. What's up, Jeff? Hi, Josh. I'm very excited to be here with you today. I'm excited, too, and I'm also excited to be joined by our other co-host, Hugo Panay. What's up, Hugo? Hello. I'm, I'm ba- I have a computer again, so yes. I can... You do. You're, you're back from assignment. Yeah. I, I we, am, yeah. God. We missed uh, you last week. I missed it. It was very anno- I was very annoyed with not being able to do it because it was like it's, it's kind of movie that you, it's almost more fun to talk about than to watch, which I agree. It, if you know yeah. what I mean, like so. Yeah, it's kind well, of it's not exactly fun I... to watch. I mean, I like the movie, but you know, it's that you get it's, it's fun to watch because movie. you know you can then talk about it with someone. That's yeah, it. <laughs> it's interesting to talk about. I think it's interesting to talk about. Um, but at the same time, I had an extra podcast last week. I was driving around a lot because I, I, whatever. I don't want to go into the intricacies of of what what part-time job i'm doing but i was driving around a lot so i needed more podcasts so it was fun to kind of listen in for once without listen being to your it. own yeah it was yeah. interesting it was interesting it's it's funny uh friend of the show tj keely knew that we were doing killing of a sacred deer and so he mm. texted me before the episode dropped and said uh how many times did the word lynching come up and I said, well, Hugo was on the podcast, so zero. But had he been on, I'm sure we would have talked more about David Lynch in relation to Killing of a Second Deer. But we didn't. I think I, might have said something we along the of, I think I might have said something along the lines of, this seems like the kind of movie Hugo would love. Yeah, which is basically yeah. a synonym for Lynchian. So. Yeah. yeah, I think that's fair. Well, I, it's, it's... Go ahead, Hugo. That's interesting that you say that, because I, I didn't love it. Like, I, I really liked it, and I, I thought... like. It's one of those movies that on a filmmaking level is so ingenious and interesting to just look at that I, I couldn't help but appreciate it. But I I wasn't very You've talked you talked a lot about how intentional the coldness uh, and, and sort of the detachment of the it, characters it keeps and the way they you talk. at arm's length a lot. Yeah. Yes. I was not I didn't feel very involved by the end. So I, I was like, oh like I got to the end and I was like, okay, but I I'm not Maybe I'm I'm missing. I feel like it's the, a movie that you watch again and you see a whole bunch of different tiny details that enhance your experience once you know what's going to happen. I know Josh, you watched it again this time, and because mm-hmm. I also saw the lobster, and I think the lobster is more a little more, even though it's cr- maybe even crazier, but it is a little more straightforward with what it's doing for the first watch to me at least, and this one did keep me a little bit of a, at arm's length, as you say, but. Like the filmmaking is so cool. Like that, those camera shots where the camera is very low on the ground and it's almost a fisheye lens, and and they're just yeah. walking away from it, and it it feels like the camera is moving faster than the characters, but it's not. It feels like it's moving so fast, but yeah. the characters are it's walking unsettling. towards it. It's very unsettling. I I all that stuff I really enjoyed. Um, it's 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 funny you say all that because like I. I... Upon first viewing, I liked The Lobster more than Killing of Sacred Deer. I saw them both, mm. like, a few years ago when they came out-ish. And then I watched them both in preparation for the podcast. And I actually like Killing of Sacred Deer a lot more on second watch. And it's funny you say The Lobster is more... Did you say focused? Is that what you said it was? No, no, no. More, like, in some... Despite being weirder with the concept, it, it almost feels like it's 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 a bit more straightforward with what, with what it's doing. Okay. You know what I mean? I, I also thought that on first viewing, but on second viewing, I actually think Killing mm. Sacred, Sacred Deer, the reason I liked it more than Lobster is because I did find it more to be, like, um, more consistent, I guess. Because The mm-hmm. Lobster, like, The Lobster's a two-halves movie. Like, I like the first it half is. a lot. The second half, I really don't care for it all in The Lobster. Right. But 
Um, Killing the Sacred Deer never lost momentum that the lobster lost to me, at least. Um, But okay, I'm I'm glad you're giving all your thoughts here, because the the first thing on the agenda for today's episode is to rank the Killing of Sacred Deer, because we're not able to rank it last last episode because Hugo's not around. So, uh, first order of business, let's start with Grizz. Grizz. On your individual 50 movie list, because we're doing the, calcul- the ranking a little different now, you need to tell me your placement of Killing the Deer on your personal say, list. We're doing it a little better now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. A little more it's exact. Still, yes. still a futile exercise for Josh, but we're doing for me, some it's, complex it's <laughs> uh, science now. Uh, which but we're doing. for me, uh, and I'm going to repeat the joke I said earlier. Uh, off mic, but uh, I have Killing of the Sacred Deer directly above one Boogert Knights. Boogert being the full name of Boogie for Boogie Knights. So. Mr. Mr. Boogie, yeah. Mr. Mr. Boogert Knights. How'd you end up with Boogert? Uh, I was thinking like uh, like Hubert, Hubie, Hubert, mm. Boogie. Or Humphrey Bogart, but... Well, that's a last name. <laughs> uh, well, you said Mr. Mr. Boogert Knights. Well, the Mr. Like, I'm As Mr. Jeff Ulrich, you're Mr. Josh oh. Bradley. Oh, so Knights is his last name. Yes, of course. Yes. And Boogert is his first Boogert name. Boogert Knights. Okay. <laughs> of course. Okay. I don't, need, I don't, know, I mean, what I don't know why I have these questions. It's so, it's so straightforward. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. In any so case, so Killing of the Sacred Deer, I have uh, one spot above where I had Boogie Knights. Which... So that's your number 33. Correct. So lower half, but pretty close to the middle. Yes. Hugo, how about you? Where would you have? I have it directly below where I had Incendie. Incendie was my number 27, and The Killing of Sacred Deer would be my number 28. So, almost, so almost also in the second top half, half, but closer yeah. to the middle. Yeah. And uh, I'm splitting the difference with you guys. I have it just below Incendie, My Cousin Vinny, right ahead of Another Round of the Lighthouse. Smack dab at number 30 is where I have Killing of Sacred Deer. So, we're pretty consistent. I have 30, I pretty, uh, Hugo's 28, and Grizz has 33. So. Uh, the way the math works out, that goes to, stand by, stand by, stand by, stand by, um, number 34 on the list, just behind Batman Mask of the Phantasm and The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, just ahead of Chef and The Matrix, and Hugo's Precious Matrix Reloaded, Killing of Sacred Deer, <laughs> number 34. All right. Good movie. So that's how the new math works. Good movie. Uh, yeah. I'm excited about yeah, that. Yeah, good movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so second order of business, before we get to the, uh, main topic which is Everybody Wants Some. Uh, I want to know what you guys have been watching this week. Uh, let's start with Hugo. Hugo, what have you been watching? Um, I guess last couple of weeks, so I'll go quick. Last couple um, of weeks, yes. Yeah, because I wasn't here. I, I watched a bunch more Jackie Chan movies. I won't go any into more detail on this, but I'm almost done with my big Jackie Chan binge. Uh, Julia got me the Project A 1 and 2 Blu-ray remaster that they did, because Project A 2 is impossible to watch anywhere. I know that yes. you're you're pointing up to their location on your shelves. Sorry, yes, but, I am. But it looked like you're pointing to heaven, like thanks, Julia. Pointing to heaven for Julia. No, I was pointing to my project. A. <laughs> Thank you, Julia. Uh, I will always remember you for this present. R.I.P. Um, no, she's very okay. Um, in fact, we were at the theater earlier today together for a movie that I'm going to talk about in a minute. Um, so oh, yeah, so I'm says your talking... alibi. Yes. Um, don't. Is this recorded? Is that Hugo's description okay? <laughs> of his girlfriend, she's very okay. <laughs> she's very okay. She is, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. So, I won't, basically, I have Project A Part 2, and the other movie that I want to see is The Young Master, which is another one that I can't find, but I'll figure something out, whatever. Um, 
I also watched, I rewatched episodes one and two of Star Wars. I'm going to watch three soon because the Obi-Wan TV show is coming so out. So you're skipping um, Clone Wars? Fake fan? I, I've watched Clone Wars <laughs> twice uh, over, and I, I don't think I will be watching all of the Clone Wars episodes because I've got stuff to do. So well, I yeah. just made the Clone Wars movie. <laughs> oh, the Clone Wars movie? No. We're, we're, yeah, we're not doing that. Um, but... More interestingly, I think, in sort of preparation... I've been watching movies like in preparation for movies that are coming out uh, this year. Yes. So I, I, yes, yes, yes. I watched... First I watched uh, Army of Darkness and Drag Me to Hell. Sam Raimi's oh, yeah. two movies that I had not seen. Both mm-hmm. very enjoyable, both very silly, but in a fun way. Um, I liked Army of Darkness more just because I, I think it leans into the silliness um, and the wackiness. It, it, it's basically kind of a live-action cartoon where the point very is just... So putting Bruce Campbell through hell and which which is great it's it's always fun um drag me to hell i liked slightly less but i think still like i think it's a, it it feels like almost he wanted to do a, like a smaller project like kind of a palate cleanser after going through the spider-man um so but it fun movie back to his roots and, back to his roots yeah for sure and and then i i watched multiverse of madness uh, the the new doctor strange movie which i also enjoyed quite a bit it's kind of, it's kind of it does have some like unevenness and 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 I feel like the title is kind of a little bit weird because like there's not that much multiversing and there's there is a, there is some madness there is quite a, a bit of madness, madness <laughs> but like they only really go to like three worlds that there's and it's been not any like, significant amount of yeah time it's in, yeah. yeah we see a bunch of them and I was like oh yeah I was hoping that it would be a little more propulsive in that sense that we would see a bunch of stuff but. That being said, title aside, I really did enjoy the movie. I think it finally brought some like visual flourish to these Marvel movies that I really enjoy. But like most of the time, they, they you know they're a little flat, uh, kind of uninventive with camera work and 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 even just like the design of of little sequences and stuff. And this one had some very cool, Raimi, very Raimi tense sequences that I really yeah. enjoyed, particularly yeah. the ones where. The camera goes first person and Wanda is this kind of, well, is that a spoiler? Well, the, the, uh, <laughs> whatever, Wanda is, yeah, yeah. What, everyone's seen this movie. Wanda is kind of like trying to to catch the other characters that she's haunting down and, and it, it it's very much feels like it's doing some Evil Dead stuff. It's also a movie about an evil book of the damned that possesses people. So it's like, it's, it's very, evil dead very four. much. It's, it is very it's much. Not Dr. Strange, Vault of the Verse of Vandis. It's Dr. Strange, evil dead four is the it subtitle. It really, <laughs> really is. Yeah. He just kind of snuck that in there. And, and I enjoyed that a lot. I was going to um, say the, uh, there are several shots in that movie in, in multiverse of Madness where I was like, you know what? If this, if you just took this one frame, this is beautiful, like beautiful artwork. It is. Yeah. Uh, which I can't say that about every MCU movie. And so like, no. I really do appreciate that about this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I also watched the film David Cronenberg's Crash. Have you guys seen this movie? No, I've not seen this. But your description uh, of it, I never will. <laughs> it entered the discourse. It entered the discourse this past week, though, because people were debating this or Tatane being the better car sex movie. Car sex movie, yes. Um, mm-hmm. Why did that discourse come up? <laughs> Um, okay, so, because Titan is a movie where a a young psychopath, literally, because she murders a bunch of people, does, the, like, has sex with a car, literally right. with a car, and then kind of becomes pregnant with this car. And Crash is not 
so much about having sex with the car, but it's about uh, being like it's having like a, a threesome a with the car. Well, <laughs> not really. It's like more like it's like a group of people who come who become very sexually obse- obsessed with the idea of car crashes and and uh, the stuff they get up to. Um, it's wild. It's a very very weird movie, so but I enjoyed it. Car crash is a bit of a cuckold. <laughs> The car crash, yes, it is. Um, I found it to be very, very good. I enjoyed this more than Titan, for example. Um, although, if you listen to... There's a, there was a... Because basically, it wasn't news because Viggo Mortensen said something about Titan being derivative of Crash. But um, David Cronenberg himself said, well, you know, th- they've been comparing our movies. She obviously has seen my movies. She... Julia Ducanau, who's directed Raw and Titan, she obviously has seen my movies and she's inspired by them, but... Look, Crash didn't win the Palm Door. It did get a grand jury special prize, but it didn't win the Palm Door. So she she's doing something that I wasn't doing. So she was very uh, positive on it. Um, I enjoyed Crash. I think it's worth watching, but be advised, it's it's extremely bizarre and weird. Um, and finally, I watched Top Gun for the first time in my life, uh, which is a thing, and which I I I thought it was fine. I don't I don't know. I don't get it. I don't know why people have that much like strong feelings on it either way. I don't think it was terrible. I didn't think it was great. I, th- I thought it was fine. Um, maybe it just kind of feels dated at this point from, if you haven't seen it when you were like younger in a different period of time, but that's prob- probably today. Possible. Also, you're not, you're not American. You don't get the, you just get a yeah. red blooded surge of adrenaline when no. you see these things. I was like, yeah, okay, this is fine. The like, national pride. Yeah. yeah. We got to the end. Like, yeah, we got, to, uh, we watched it with Julia and we got to the end and we were like, that was, that was okay. It was fine. But then we went to see today because for some reason they were showing Top Gun Maverick uh, yesterday and today in Italian theaters, uh, like as a, like a preview, because it, it is officially releasing next week. And yes. Top Gun Maverick was absolutely brilliant. I loved it. It was like one of the greatest action movies that I've seen in, in, the last 10 years or something like right up there with like movies like, you know, Mission Impossible Fallout, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, um, Mad Max, that, that level. I thought of, you were just going to lift off, list off Tom Cruise movies. No, I, I mean, I, I could, but like, because he's been in, in many of these, but uh, John Wick, these, like these kinds of like action movies that it is just a straightforward action movie. It doesn't have any fat. It, it, no, it has like very clear, like narrative and emotional stakes and you know what where it's going there's the attention to it which i thought what was what was missing for me as well in top gun in top gun like at the end we get oh now there's a special mission you have to go on but like this whole movie is there's a ticking clock going on and it's i just found it breathtaking like in every way it's just it feels like a classic great big blockbuster Hollywood movie that we don't get as much. Um, you know, very little CGI. Most of it is done on camera and the sequences are just insane. It's it's ridiculous what they do with these planes. And just to be able to put it with a giant IMAX camera inside them is... it. I thought it was incredible. I thought I had a great time. You know when you just see one of those, like, Terminator 2 and you see that movie and you're like, this is... Gr- I just had a great time with this. And that's the feeling that it gave me. I loved it. I can't wait for you guys to see it because it's uh, really great. It's on my list for next weekend. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I actually stupidly thought it came out this current weekend. And mm. I was super disappointed when I pulled up the AMC app and saw I couldn't buy tickets until <laughs> I did next too, Tuesday. <laughs> I, yeah. was, I was because it just felt like there should have been more movies. More summer movies should have happened already. Mm-hmm. 
It's still just Doctor yeah. Strange. <laughs> well, eh, I mean, we'll get to something that came out this weekend when I get to my section. But Grizz, let's go to your section. What have you? What have you been watching recently? So I also watched Star Wars episodes one and two, and I also watched the Clone Wars. Uh, but that the reason I'm the reason I actually watched one and two wasn't because of the upcoming Obi Wan series, which I am very excited for. Uh, but the reason I was, wanted to watch episode one and two was because uh, this is the 25th anniversary of, or 20th anniversary. I'm forgetting now. It's the anniversary oh, of episode two. Is this was it's 20th, right, anniversary. 20th, 20th anniversary? 20th anniversary. Yeah. 2002. Thank you. Yeah. 20th anniversary of uh, episode two, and that is my least favorite live action Star Wars film, but I still enjoy it, and I can't bring myself to watch just episode two. So I watched episode one, and I'm watching. Gotta go in sequence. And now I'm watching all of Star Wars in chronological order. So I'm in the middle of the Clone Wars sure. animated series. Fun. Uh, so I, I did that. Uh, I watched a movie called Sex Appeal on Hulu. It is mm-hmm. terrible, and I won't waste your time on that. Uh, the only reason I watched it was because there was a commercial that came up on a YouTube channel, and it was like kind of funny. So I was like, okay, I'll watch it. And it turns out every funny thing was in the. the commercials so. <laughs> uh and then uh, effective watched... advertising though <laughs> very good advertising they got me got you, got, line got your money man <laughs> yeah uh but then in semi-preparation for this uh episode today i also watched two richard linklater movies i finished out Woo! the before trilogy which yes. I, I i watched the first one uh six years ago and then or rather uh, four years ago and then i watched the second one two years ago, and then I watched this one. I wanted to space them out a little bit so that I could sort of get the feeling of how it was if you had watched them as they came out. Uh, because obviously that was kind of the whole impetus yes. of those movies. It's a story told over decades. Uh, and I, I love that trilogy. They're so good. Yeah, it's, they, it's, it's untouchably good. It's so good. They're not, I would never say that they're like my favorite movies. Mm. Uh, but I don't have anything bad to say about it. I think it's because it's like a, a beautiful little slice of life and then another beautiful slice of life and another beautiful slice of life. Uh, and it's there's some comfort from the trilogy, but it's not one that I'm like excited that I got to, you know, it's, it, I don't know. It's hard, hard for me to describe why it's not like my favorite movies of all time, but they're, they're excellent. And I don't have any complaints about them. It's just they are what they I- are, you know? <laughs> I almost like hold them. I almost hold them separately from like other movies that I watch and enjoy. Like they're not ones that I rewatch a ton, but they're just like I will set aside time once every couple of years. It's funny you say that you space them out because I don't. The only ever time, the only times I've ever watched them, I've watched them all three over the course of at most two days. So I kind of, mm-hmm. I kind of boyhood the before trilogy yeah. and like watch it all <laughs> in sequence as if I was watching boyhood, uh, basically, which is again not how they were intended to. But like I don't like. When I think of my favorite movies, I kind of like set those aside as something else. Yeah, they're like a treat that I return to that I give myself every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it, so um, it almost feels man, more like you're just, you're just hanging out with these people and then catching up with them at a later age. Exactly. Like you see your yeah. friends again. But it, it almost feels like well, a the, completely separate thing, yeah. From uh, the second movie to the, you know, from the first to the second movie, you know, that's exactly what it is, is you're catching up uh, yeah. just like them and you're catching up with them, which makes that such a, a cool uh, movie experience. And then this is again like they, they've stayed together, but now we are a friend that they haven't seen in a long time, and we're getting to mm-hmm. see the current state well, of their what'd, relationship. What do you think of? So you just watched before Midnight, the third one. Like, yes, that's the that's the toughest. That's watch the toughest the watch for sure. So what'd you what'd you well, make? It's of the interesting. Tough when I, I told Hugo I was watching it, and he says, "Oh, that's a sad movie." I'm like, "Don't tell it me that." I just started movie. watching. It. <laughs> 
mean, it is and it isn't sad. <laughs> but yeah. it is sad, but it doesn't end sad to me. Uh, it I think ends, it's a, I think it's an open ended ending. It's an open ended ending, and uh, yes. and me being generally optimistic about life, uh, I I see this open ended ending, and I think I'm thinking the future is moving up. But I also told Hugo that I would be completely unsurprised if they do another movie down the line, and it turns out that they got separated like immediately following that movie. I would not be shocked by well, that. <laughs> if they, I, I think that. Julie Binoche in particular. Julie Julie Binoche, that who's Julie, Julie, Julie Delpy. Julie Delpy, excuse me. I'm yeah. mixing up my French actresses. Uh, yeah. Julie Delpy has said multiple times in interviews that they're not making a fourth one, but if they are to make a fourth one, it should be released in 2022 if they're going to keep up their every nine year track record. Uh, yeah. I, I'm I'm secretly believing or choosing to believe that we'll get a before something at some point in 2022, but uh, Julie Delpy says we're not. Right. But, uh, I'll I'm tell you what I want. She's lying. I want before sunrise again just call it before sunrise again but it's a later it's you know yeah it's them in their 70s or something like that you know i, I think that, yeah that i feel be, like if cool. i feel like at this point we're probably not getting just the fourth one in the sense of of nine years later as they had been doing but i i also you know the um, uh, they just did a remake of that um, Ingmar Bergman series, uh, what's it called? With um, they did it with Fanny and Alexander. With Fanny and Ale- no, not Fanny and Alexander. It, it, scenes from a marriage. Right? Oh, right, right, right. right yeah, right. the okay, original, right, yeah. the original series that he did, it was in the seventies or something. But then in like two thousand or something, he did Saraban, which is a, like the follow-up movie of the same two characters, like. 35 40 years later and i feel like if he ever goes back to these characters it could be with ethan hawk and judy delpy in their 70s or something like i feel in 20 years like that would be i think because i don't, I don't know what else you say with like i don't think the the difference between whatever age 40 which is where they are in midnight and age 49 which is where would they would be in in, in a fourth would be like it, it the, the interesting thing about that trilogy to me is also that you get them at different times in their lives where there are major changes in a person's like character as well like you get them very early 20s in you know late 20s early 30s and then in their 40s and like there's a real progression to that and you know 10 years later not that much changes maybe i don't know uh, i can understand I mean, that yeah. thought process for sure um, it's but, interesting to me how it, it's interesting to me how much Julie Delpy's character changes over the over the three movies mm-hmm. and how much Ethan Hawke's kind of character kind of kind of stays change. the same yeah. and that's kind of like a, a big source of conflict particularly in the third movie so like I'd be curious to see where where they are just check in with them you oh, know, for after sure. nine years even if he doesn't give me a movie just like tell me hey what's going on with, yeah. uh, so, <laughs> a so give us a short Jesse. film give us just yeah, a, yeah. A, a, ten a, minute short ten minute short no cuts. Great. Yeah, yeah. And, um, that, and you do the, and he does the thing again where the camera just walks with him and there's no cuts. That's ten minutes. I love they those talk. shots. It's God, brilliant. it would be so good. Well, yeah. the mm-hmm. whole argument scene in the hotel. That's is that all one shot or is it just hidden? No, cuts? I don't think so. Hidden cuts. I mean, I guess I, I don't remember. It's been a minute. Like, there's some sequences. There's, there's some parts in that where I like you see the camera just pan from him sitting mm-hmm. in one room to her sitting in the other, and I can tell that that is either all one shot or they're doing a hidden cut somewhere. They're definitely doing um, hidden cuts, but like. It, a lot of those movies are shot like that, and 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 That's I think brilliant. in I think in the first one it was 
just a budget thing, like a, su such a limited budget that they had to figure out how to make this work. And then by the second one, it kind of became a feature. Um, and yeah, I love those movies. I think, I think. But we'll that wasn't the only Richard other Linklater movie. movies. Yeah, that wasn't the only <laughs> that I watched in preparation because it was also mm -hmm. suggested to me. I was bemoaning the lack of movies about uh, Houston that are, mm. are that are while you know made. There's certainly not many movies made in Houston, let alone made about Houston. It's uh, hot, man. And, uh, and that's, <laughs> that's uh, you know, something that I complain about because obviously, you know, Josh lives in L.A. You know, one third of movies take place in L.A., I swear. <laughs> and then I have, you know, friends who live in New York and the other another third of the movies take place in New York. And, and it's just, you know, Houston's the fourth largest city in the country. And we probably make up, you know, less than one half of one percent of movies. It's <laughs> but that is not the case in Richard Linklater's filmography, thanks to. Uh, a new movie that appeared on Netflix, uh, Apollo Ten and a Half, which was the other movie I watched in preparation for this, and it is just a beautiful love letter to Houston, and yes. I I loved everything about that. The story of the movie itself is not one of my favorites of his, but you can really just tell that he he loves this city, and uh, or loved loved what the city was. It's not so much. Uh, it's very nostalgic, and what's crazy is how well, much of his nostalgia was still things that I was I'm nostalgic about now because the Astrodome was still my stadium when I was a kid. Astroworld was still my amusement park when I was a kid. Uh, so so much so much of it translated. It really it touched me. What's funny is you said the story was your favorite. I, I like how the story is set up in the first five minutes. Then they literally just hit pause on the story. Pause. And it doesn't it. you don't come back for like <laughs> forty five minutes. So like basically half the movie, the first half of the movie is has nothing to do with that story that you don't care much for that I don't really care much for either honestly and it's just forty five minutes of just like this is what life was like growing up one of six kids in Houston in nineteen sixty nine and I adore that so much yeah. like I, I mentioned this last week or last time we recorded that I watched this as well and I I I adored this movie yeah so good and uh, but that so that that was what I've been watching recently and, and you know I know we spent a lot of time talking about Richard Linklater stuff and that doesn't. I don't feel bad about that because that's what we're going to be talking about in this in this yeah. podcast. But Josh, what did you watch? He'll come up, yeah. But first, yeah, let me <laughs> let me cover what I've been what I've been doing. Uh, I also saw um, I, I didn't I forgot to put this down, but I, I watched Army of Darkness like Hugo did in preparation for Multiverse of Madness, which I'm glad because uh, Multiverse of Madness is as much a sequel to Army of Darkness yeah. as it is a sequel to Doctor Strange. I feel like <laughs> absolutely. Um, you know, everyone everyone talks about like the cameos uh, in in all these Marvel movies, including this one. And uh, it's funny, it's like, I kind of, like, could not have given less of a shit about the cameos in this movie, but as soon as Same. the movie went to evil dead mode, I just started squealing like a, like a girl. I was so excited. I mean, <laughs> I was excited about one cameo that did have anything to do with Marvel. So Bruce Campbell? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yes. So Let's good. do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, was, uh, I was a sucker for the Raimi stuff. Um, especially because, like, not only is it, like like you said, Hugo. Like there's there's demons and a book of the dead and a mm -hmm. book of life and like it's it's extremely evil dead like, um, but also like uh, not to spoil anything, but the 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 ending scene, the villain of the movie and how the villain meets their demise is not only emotionally very much like Spider Man two, but there's a lot of visual signifiers that match yes. what happens to the villain at the end of Spider Man two. I'm like, oh yeah, Sam yeah. Raimi, man, he's. <laughs> The he's doing the thing. It. He knows what yeah. he's doing. <laughs> even, 
even structurally, the movie is kind of... You know how Spider-Man 2 does that thing where we get... Oh, then we, we get a few scenes with Spider-Man, and then we get a few scenes with Doc Ock, and then we get a few scenes with Spider-Man, and then we get a few scenes with Doc Ock, and then they meet kind of at various points throughout the story, and then at the end. And kind of this movie is kind of structured the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and kind of the sure. villain arc, like the villain emotional arc, is also quite similar. There's something that happens, and then they, they go through a similar kind of journey by the end yes 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 so yeah multiverse madness liked it a lot more than uh dr strange which left me fairly cold this one i liked a lot more um speaking of leaving me cold i rewatched joker a movie called joker <laughs> this week for the first time since theaters the joker uh, grizz is shaking his head why are you shaking your head grizz i'm not a fan <laughs> not a fan not a fan um, of joker so again, I watched it for the first time since theaters, and it was it was good. It was an illuminating watch for me because I'm the kind of person who, particularly in the last few years, I feel like I am not good about like assessing my feelings appropriately on first viewings. I'm like watching for so much stuff that usually takes two viewings to really decide how I feel about something. But this was an illuminating rewatch because when I walked out of the theater in you know September of 2019 i said i don't think i like that very much and then i watched it this week and yeah i don't like that very much so it just kind of confirmed what i already knew that i don't like that very much so it's yeah. joker it's not, I, not very good <laughs> i i'm just going to give some brief feelings on that movie I, I went and looked up my rating i actually gave it seven out of out of ten or you know three and a half stars that's probably I, what i gave it to yeah and like it's 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 good but like it didn't have to be a dc movie in fact mm-hmm. i think making it a dc movie devalues its message <laughs> and i think it all the people love it for all the wrong reasons and it, it's an I, infuriating I movie <laughs> like I, I i like the craft a lot i like the production design and the cinematography and the music and you know walking phoenix is great but like the the script is um <laughs> uh i can't remember i can't remember who to attribute this to but someone recently i heard someone say that x is a smart movie for dumb people and that's what Joker is. It's a smart movie for dumb people. It's like, it's just like, I don't know, man. It's really shallow to me, but like, it's trying to like aspire to not be shallow, but just see, it's just so surface level, like all the supposedly yeah. deep stuff in it. And I don't know. I just really don't care for it very much. It's, um, to me, it, it it's very much another movie inspired by sort of Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy, the two Scorsese films, but it fails to kind of build on that and it just takes the surface level service level like sort of story structure and aesthetics of it but doesn't really add anything like i don't know if you, like just watch you whenever you were never really here i don't know if you guys have seen this movie great movie it's, yeah yeah it's uh, lynn ramsey kind of a similar vibe but i think it does a taxi driver slash king of comedy much better than this taxi um, driver is legos joker is duplo it, yeah <laughs> sure I, I don't know that. what that is but okay um, they're, they're the giant it's... legos for babies oh okay <laughs> all right you hear, heard it here first grizz says that if you like joker you're a baby that's what grizz just said <laughs> you, you are a child <laughs> go enjoy your lunch in a high chair uh don't be too much in your diaper <laughs> yeah uh, that's grizz saying that uh, so yeah, that's that's Joker. And normally um, Josh and puts words in my mouth and I disagree with what he's doing, but no, I'm fine with that. You're a baby. Grizz <laughs> just said you have a big poopy diaper if you like the movie Joker. That's exactly <laughs> what he just said. Um, 
And lastly, uh, Grizz, you mentioned stuff that's not coming out in theaters. Uh, I, one movie was released in theaters that I saw called that's Men. Alex Garland's Men. And I saw it last night. And uh, there's a lot of very, very upsetting things in the movie Men. Yeah. It doesn't look um, like a movie for me at all. It's not a movie for Grizz. I was actually thinking about that as I was watching. Well, I had two thoughts as I was watching it. Number one, I thought Grizz would hate this. And number two, I thought, what can I watch after this as a palate cleanser to, to like make me put me in a better <laughs> mood after I watch this movie? <laughs> I was like actively thinking that as I was watching. I'm like, what can I put on when I get home? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Um, it's rough. It's good. It's very good. Or, you know, I don't know. I think it's good. It's hard to uh, it, it, it invites a lot of interpretation. It invites a lot of questions. If you're a fan of Alex Garland, will, will you still enjoy it? I mean, I'm a big fan of Alex Garland, and I certainly enjoyed it. It's just more opaque, I think. I mean, Annihilation is pretty opaque, but yeah. mm-hmm. uh, this is more so. Um, again, there's stuff in, like, the whole last half hour is bonkers, and a lot of, again, very, very upsetting imagery, but also, like, extremely compelling imagery where, like, okay, he's certainly, certainly going for some kind of metaphor here. I just don't really know what that is. is it, so I haven't... Mm-hmm. I haven't I have a question. Is it yeah. basically just like the Nutty Professor, except it's a horror movie, you know, with that one no, guy playing it's every not character? the <laughs> Nutty Professor, but a horror movie. No, Rory Kinnear is not doing a Norbit uh, situation here. Um, That's sad. Rory Kinnear does play multiple characters. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, open to interpretation and analysis. Like, it's, it's not commented upon, but the fact that every man in the movie is played by the same person, same face, different body... Um, you can draw your, there's several conclusions you can draw from that creative choice, but the movie lets you draw that. It doesn't really tell you what to think. That's about interesting. It. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of them, a lot of the movies like that, where again, like there's some, uh, extremely provocative, uh, decisions and imagery that, you know, again, will probably get a reaction out of you, but it doesn't. And it like, again, it, it is suggesting that there's a larger message or larger point being made here, but, um, it doesn't hold her hand letting you arrive to that point lets you, you know, come to it yourself. Which right. I need to think about the movie a lot more before I uh, say much about it, I guess. But I saw Men. Nice. Good movie. Uh, yeah. Man, we are, uh, we're dragging along. We're yeah, 34 we minutes let's, let's dive <laughs> yeah. in, guys, because I'm actually very excited to talk about our film yes. to remember this week. We saw a lot of uh, recent movies, you know, that happens. That's true. Well, uh, yeah. our film to remember this week, uh, as alluded by Grizz and his Richard Linklater watching, is a movie <laughs> called Everybody Wants Some. Uh, this is my pick. Uh, I saw this movie in theaters, and I was an enormous fan, and I feel like it just disappeared from uh, the public consciousness after it left theaters. So uh, that's why I wanted to bring it up and talk about it to you guys. Um, jump right into the boilerplate. It was released on March 30th, 2016, on five screens, so very limited release. And uh, it slowly expanded uh, to more screens over the over the subsequent weeks, but it never played on more than 454 screens. And for reference here, uh, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness is currently playing on 4,500 screens, and even Downton Abbey A New Era is currently playing on 3,800 screens, and uh, everybody wants them never made, never played on more than 454, which is an extremely, extremely limited release. Very limited, yeah. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure if 500 or 1,000 is the threshold to be, quote, limited release, but uh, it didn't hit either one, so it doesn't matter. It, I, think um, it's, I think it's kind of up to... I think it's a whatever. nebulous definition. To, yeah. Yeah, it certainly didn't. Ne- never went wide. I don't know what like mm-hmm. wide release is considered. Maybe it's two thousand screens. I don't know. Uh, 
So it only played for seven weeks, and it made 3.4 million domestic, 1.2 million international for a worldwide gross of 4.6 million against a budget of 10 million, which is not very good. Uh, probably a new recurring theme on this show is like movies that did not make back their budget at the box office because we are going to kind of pivot to more under the radar movies yeah, that films you should we remember more love. that you exactly. clearly don't. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Uh, but just for a point of comparison, so again, uh, Everybody Wants Some played seven weeks, made $4.6 million against a budget of ten. Um, people compared this to Days Confused, which was Richard Linklater's kind of cult hit from 1993 as like a, like a spiritual sequel to Days Confused. So just to give a point of comparison for the Days Confused box office numbers, that only played for three weeks in theaters in 1993 and never played on more than 214 screens and only made uh, $8 million against a budget of $6.9 million. So that at least made back its money. And made a little bit more than everybody wants some, and you know, and it's become a you know a cult. That classic. was a yeah, that was a video hit. That was like a blockbuster hit. That was a you know kids in high school and college discovering it after theaters kind of hit. You know, word of mouth thing. Um, but like that kind of post theater success like doesn't really happen as much anymore because just the way the the aftermarket for movies is a lot different than it was in 1993, which is a, a big shame because I feel like. Everybody wants them could could have in another time found a new life uh, after theater is the way that Days and Confused did, but I don't I don't think I don't think there's the the mechanisms anymore for that for that to happen. Uh, I hope so. You know, but here we are six years out, and you know, yeah, no one knows I don't movie. I don't know how views on a streaming service benefit like a movie. I mean, it depends. Like, if you go to Netflix and like look at their top ten, the mm-hmm. top ten on Netflix is a really strange, interesting document because it it's like. Yeah, you'll find, like, whatever new reality show is just dropped by Netflix. That, that usually fills out two or three slots in the top ten. But a lot of times it's, like, the most random mm-hmm. cable broadcast TNT movies. Like, like I think a couple weeks ago, U.S. Marshals from 1998 it starring was, Tommy Lee Jones, the sequel to The Fugitive, was number two most watched on Netflix. Why? <laughs> like, um, Why not? Yeah, so, like... like... <laughs> so, I, I, I have no idea what does or doesn't make a hit on streaming. I doubt people who run streaming services know what does or doesn't make a hit on streaming because it's pretty I baffling. I would times. say they most certainly do not know because yes. because of the economics that we're seeing with them. But that's a, another point. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, so uh, Everybody Wants Some did not make much money at the box office. However, I want to ask you guys, uh, the week that it opened in 2016. So it technically opened on a Wednesday, March 30th. So... The weekend beginning Friday, April 1st, 2016, what do you think was number one at the box office April 1st, 2016? I have a hint for you if you want to get a hint. Well, yes. I'll need a hint. because we'll, I'll like, need a hint. Because when I play the box hint. office game, I get at least the first, the starring actor <laughs> before I guess. Well, I, I, can give you, I can give you that also. But uh, So I'm, I'm kind of going off the top of the head here. But as I remember, so I didn't, I didn't verify this, but as I remember, uh, this movie that was number one, was originally supposed to be a May release, but they moved it to March because they didn't want to compete with uh, Captain America Civil War, which came out in May of 16. So this was moved to March of 16. Oh. Um, but it was a very big movie. A very big movie. Um, and maybe the, fact that, maybe the fact that it was avoiding Captain America Civil War is a hint to what kind of movie this was. Was this uh, Batman versus Superman or... This was those? Batman versus Superman, colon, yeah. the dawn of justice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yes, in its second week, uh, April 1st, where it made $51 million 
bring its gross up to $260 million. That's Why did you say money. that name? <laughs> a lot of money for a movie that's not very good, that nobody seems to really like. Oh, that's yeah. right. oh that's I, actually, actually, the, the, you will find that there are many people on the internet who really swear by this movie, and they will, uh, you know... Program He's bots to vote at the Oscars about uh, what the favorite movie moments of the year were, but yeah, that has nothing to do with this movie though. That has to Fair do enough. with the next version of the movie. Uh, that is true. Yes. That is true. I don't think. I mean, yeah, obviously, a, a lot of people online f- have very strong opinions on Justice League. I don't really see that those many people coming out of the woodwork to defend there, Batman. There are a few, it might just but be I feel like there's less. Hugo and I are uh, fans of this YouTube channel, kind of funny, and the mm-hmm. uh, uh, the main guy on there greg miller uh is the biggest diehard superman fan and so he campaigned for years sold merch that said batman versus superman was a good movie you know like, like, something like so like we might be blinded a little bit by but I feel, I feel like he i feel like he was he was still being ironic like there's people yes, on the internet who are like, like very that sounds he's like he's kind of doing a it's bit kind like of a he's, bit. He's like, half I doing think a bit. He enjoys least. the movie. Like he knows it's not yeah. like a legitimately good, good movie, but he enjoys yeah. it and he enjoys it's the nonsense of it, you know. Yeah. But uh, that's a whole other thing altogether. <laughs> anyway, that's a movie that existed. Um let's divert back to everybody wants some, which already yeah. lost to Batman vs. Superman at the box office. Now it's losing again on its own podcast episode. <laughs> let's, uh, let's give it the attention it deserves. So, um as I said, it was kind of like a thought it kind of so he Linklater kind of sold it as a spiritual sequel to Days Confused, but none of the none of the same characters. Days Confused was like a, a was it a weekend or a day in the life of like these high a school week. kids in Texas? A week. a week, yeah. And it took place in the seventies. Seventies, yeah. yeah. Late seventies, yeah. late seventies. And this is a weekend in the life of a college baseball team in nineteen eighty. So you can kind of kind of see the parallels there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also described it as like a he kind of cheekily called it like a continuation of the movie Boyhood which was the movie that came out just before this in 2014. Uh, reason being, Boyhood ends with a young man arriving to college, and then this movie begins with a young man arriving to college. Uh, two very different guys, but that's kind of like the the link between uh, his two consecutive movies, Boyhood and Everybody Wants Some. Um, and that also, by the way, that's also why I saw this in theaters and why I sought this out, because as I've already said, it, it made no money at the box office, but I was there opening weekend because I was, uh, Boyhood was like a life-changing movie for me. I was uh, obsessed with it, and it, um, yeah, I mean, it was just a life-changing movie, so the, like, the concept, I immediately was like... The concept of Boyhood, for me, is the kind of, like, I wish more directors would try to make movies like that, because how, what a bold thing to do to pick a, a star that you know you don't know what kind of actor he's going to be as he gets older you don't know what kind of person he's going to be as he gets older but you're going to state you know set everything is on the shoulders of this child growing up and and shooting that I, that's such a cool idea sorry <laughs> sounds like you're not as the fact that you're harping on the idea makes me think you're not as much of a fan of the execution uh, it, of the movie itself I, I again it's kind of like the before trilogy for me where i love the experience of that movie but uh, it's, again, not something that I go back to regularly. Like, you know, it's, it's just something I'm happy that I, I enjoyed it that one time, but it's not that thing that I, it's not something I need to go back to. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I do. I return to it and that's fairly fun. often. It's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a really special movie to me. Um, so, yeah, so uh, Link Ladder kind of, like, pitched this as a Days Confused in Boyhood kind of, like, rolled into not rolled into one you know what i mean um and i I, it's funny going back and like i was reading like some hollywood reporter and deadline articles like from 
uh, before the movie came out, and like, uh, like the announcement that he was working on this uh, happened like as Boyhood was still in theaters, and um, so this is the Hollywood Reporter in 2014. I'm quoting now. Linklater wants to con- wants to concentrate on "That's What I'm Talking About," which was the original title for the movie. That's what I'm talking about. A 1980s university set project that is akin to his cult hit "Days Confused," which was set in the 70s and set in high school. The project, which is based on Linklater's life, follows freshmen as they navigate through the first year of college life while trying to make the baseball team. Uh, which is funny to like hear that two years before the movie came out, back when it was still like about the whole freshman year of college, not about the first weekend, um, and it had a different title. And, and that kind of stuff. It, it, it always amuses me to, like, read reporting on movies, like, long before the movie comes out. And then, like, you know, because we're in the future. We know what did or didn't happen. Um, Linklater said he wrote the first draft in 2005. And as I just said, it originally covered the entire first year of college. And the screenplay was 180 pages, which would be, like, a three-hour movie or so. Um, and he said it, it got too sprawling, so he cut it down and focused on just the first weekend. And he said, quote, now it's a college movie with no college. Uh, when I remember college, I remember the camaraderie. Which, so he made a movie about camaraderie as opposed to about like actually college classes, which I think works. Um, and so originally it was set up at Paramount, but apparently they were reluctant to give him the budget that he wanted, which is why it kind of like sat around for so long. And then um, Megan Ellison read the script and liked it. So uh, Megan, Ellis- Megan Ellison's company, Annapurna, stepped in and partnered with Paramount and... Uh, Coughed up the dough. And just a, a big shout-out to Megan Ellison, who, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with her, but she's Larry Ellison's daughter. Uh, so she just takes her billionaire father's money and funds projects for very interesting filmmakers. And, you know, because yeah. of her, we got, like, you know, her and Zero Dark Thirty, and uh, everybody wants some. It just, it's great. Yeah. What's up, Grace? I did want to correct something. I, I think it was actually just one day for Dazed and Confused. Okay, thank you for the correction. It was, I it, was, it was bothering me if I didn't say something. I think it was just one day. I think it was the last day of school. Ah, yeah, that, that's. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, everybody wants some. Brief plot summary. Uh, so, as we kind of alluded, it's just the, the first weekend of college for um, a college baseball team. We follow this, this guy named Jake as he arrives on campus at, uh, what's it, Texas State University, Texas I think? Texas State is University. It, yeah, which is fictional, right? Or is that real? Um, there is a Texas State. I, I don't believe it's that, not this, though. I don't believe right? it's this university. Because okay, Texas yeah. State's mascot is the Bobcats. I, the, the, the mascot here is the Cherokees. Now, granted, they could have changed their mascot in the intervening years. Uh, you know, so it's possible. But yeah, Texas State's a real school. Yes, okay. Um, so yeah, so uh, Jake arrives. Uh, to the baseball house the Thursday before classes start. And, uh, the whole movie is him like meeting his team and, uh, getting ingratiated into college life, meeting a few girls, partying a lot. And that's kind of it. They hang out at the baseball house yep. for, for 90 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and that's the plot. So, <laughs> it's, uh, it's really like three parties and a few day scenes. And that's the movie. Yes. Really? Yeah. Like, so yeah, so Hugo, what what you think of the movie? Let's let's start with you and your general thoughts. Um, this is an, another movie that I I kind of started uh, with different. I think I had different ex- expectations for it. I, I thought it would be more uh, of a college like film, and it ends up being really not about college at all, others other than you know living in college and that first weekend. But there's no like there's no class, there's no like college drama. I thought it would be more of a 
traditional uh, kind of college movie in that sense. And it, and it kind of surprised me in that way. Um, I had a really good time with this. I, I think where I enjoyed it a lot was that it kind of started with the types of characters that I generally wouldn't care for. Like it's kind of the jocks baseball teams and the kind of assholes and they, 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 they basically kind of what they're all, all just trying to do is to get some, which is the title of the movie. Um, <laughs> but the, I think the smart move is that they start out, they all start out in a stereotype and, and the movie kind of shows you how all those stereotypes blend in with each other, really. Like there's the scene where they go to the punk punk show and they're like, Oh, we're, like we're punk for a night. And, and, you know, and then they end up inter- interacting with the, with the performing arts kids and, and, and they kind of fit in anyway, in some weird way. It's not, there's, there isn't that strict kind of division that you might see in a lot of movies. I will uh, be which, talking about that later on. We'll definitely be yeah, talking about that kind of stuff which, later on. Yeah. Which I, I think is where the movie got me. I think I I started out being annoyed by these characters and by the end I was like, well, you know, maybe they're not they're not so terrible. Like they yeah, they they're kind of dicks sometimes, but like <laughs> they're just twenty years old and, and, and in the eighties and very horny. I you know, whatever. Yeah. It's like God love they'll them. Yeah, they'll get better. They'll get better. They're not bad people is is what I ended up feeling. And um, also, I think the movie is just charming, very funny. Yes. Um, um, And I think, I don't know, very much like uh, Before Sunrise and Sunset, he's he's probably the best at just making you, in, in just a few quick scenes, just making you fall in love with a young couple that is falling in love. Like, you're not even Certainly. necessarily like falling in love like you know for me i'm not even necessarily falling in love with with the female character or having a crush on her it's just like he he creates this dynamic between the the love interests that you you feel involved in like you want them to to be together and you don't know how it's going to go they'll probably break up break up they just met in the first weekend of college it doesn't matter but it's like he gives you that feeling of falling in love that i i don't know how he does it but it it's really you're talking about, remarkable. You're talking about Jake and Beverly, right? The yes. Blake Tanner and Zoe Deutsch. Okay. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. It's extremely charming. Yeah. yeah. So I enjoyed it a lot. Grizz, general thoughts on the movie. What do you think? So in general, I felt a lot of the same things Hugo did, but uh, my main takeaway, and this was my letterbox review of it as well, is that it, it was amazing to me how this movie can be simultaneously nothing like my college experience and still feel exactly like my college experience. That's a, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. 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 And cause it really does capture the spirit of the, of all, all of my college experience except for class. Right. And that's why I think that's why it's such a cool thing that they, they focused on this. I was in the Glee club in college, which is a men's choir, obviously nothing like a baseball team, but it is an all men's organization. So there's some similarity there. And guys are kind of dicks to each other. You know, there's some similarity there. But also they're all really, a lot of them are just real sweethearts, on, on, you know, deep down. Uh, and uh, so, like, I don't know. It's, it's, we're completely different walks of life. But uh, it, 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 I felt like, oh, yeah, this guy has experienced a lot of what I remember from my time in college. Uh, and I was kind of curious because Josh and yeah. I went to the same school if he kind of felt the same way. Because our dorm is not unlike this as well, where it's all guys hanging out. Uh, a lot of you know, you're kind of good-natured ribbing and stuff like that. The seniors giving life lessons to uh, the freshmen, acting like they know a lot when in reality they they don't really know that much more. Anything, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But what do, what, do, what do you think, Josh? No, I agree. Yeah. Uh, so where Grizz and I went to school, Notre Dame. I mean, every school has like a freshman orientation, I feel like. Um, but we have like a pretty distinct uh, Frasho weekend where like, you know, you spend four days just like getting to know the people in your dorm. Not unlike how before classes start, this movie takes four days to just get to know your baseball teammates. And um, yeah, I, I see some I see some overlap and some similarities. And, you know, uh, I guess that makes because you were two years ahead of me. So you were one of like the the older seasoned guys in the dorm that like. You already had like a, a, a respected reputation and like people knew who you were and everything when I arrived on campus. So you were, I don't know, maybe you were Glenn Powell and I was Blake Jenner when we arrived I'm on Glenn campus. Powell? That is the nicest <laughs> thing Josh has ever said to me. <laughs> okay. But okay, a few, a few things that you mentioned that I, so you mentioned uh, how it was not the same specific as your college experience, but kind of just felt like it yeah, was your it's, college it's experience. Yeah, it's the so, whole feeling of it. So he, he's got a, so Link Adder, all of his movies have real specificity and I want to talk about that later. That's later on the outline. Um, so we'll come back to that. But before that, I want to talk about the cast because I just mentioned Glenn Powell and you, your eyes lit up when I, when I compared to Glenn Powell. So, um, this cast at the time was mostly, uh, newcomers that hadn't been anything before or not like a major movie, at least like he basically plucked people from various teen network TV, uh, shows. So like Blake Jenner, who plays Jake Bradford, the main character, he was on Glee. Um, Tyler Hoechlin, who, uh, plays, uh, Mac, Mac, Mac. What's his, what's his name on this? Mac something. I don't know. McReynolds. Uh, Tyler Hoechlin. McReynolds. McReynolds. Yeah, McReynolds. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Tyler Hoechlin. Uh, he was on Teen Wolf on MTV. Zoe Deutsch was on The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. She was also on a short-lived CW show called Ringer. Mm-hmm. And Glenn Powell had been on Screaming Queens. And um, I, I love everyone in this cast, like, so much. And even though I hadn't seen them in anything, like, from, from here on out, I'm just perpetually rooting for all of them to do well. And, like, Tyler Hoechlin shortly after this was cast uh, to play Superman on Supergirl and then on another CW show that, like, I don't watch those shows, but, like, I'm just super excited for him. He's Superman. Like, that's great. And, like, Zoe Deutsch has gone on to some good stuff since then. And, uh, but Glenn Powell has become, like, a, a... a big star, and it's funny, it's funny we're talking about this movie uh, the week before Top Gun Maverick comes out right. because one of the big reasons I was excited for Top Gun Maverick is Glenn Powell. I'm like, fuck yeah, Glenn I, Powell's in something. All right, yeah. I didn't know that, and I saw Top Gun Maverick today, and I was like, oh, oh, it's the guy from Everybody Wants Some. I didn't even know his name. I was like, oh shit, and it's like he plays the same character. It's great. It's like well, he basically the plays guy? the same character. I love his yeah. character. Well, <laughs> that's, what, that's okay. So that's, that's what I was gonna say. Is like even though Blake Jenner, Jake Bradford is the main character, this is the Glenn Powell show for me. What oh yeah, saying? I agree. What I'm star of this movie yes. so much. He's so fun. <laughs> yes, uh, Glenn Powell plays Finn, and he's I guess like the wisecracking. Just his smile is freaking electric, and like every mm-hmm. time Glenn Powell's on screen, I'm just I'm having a good time. And so I wanted to, I also want to pitch this real quick. So we all agree Glenn Powell's great in this, and uh, I like Zoe Deutsch in this a lot too. I don't know how you guys feel, but uh, two, yeah, two years after Everybody Wants Some, there was a movie on Netflix called Set It Up. And it's just a, uh, a Netflix original romantic comedy starring Zoe Deutsch and Glenn Powell. And you're already in already, but uh, it's it's just about their two assistants to like Hollywood executive types who uh, their lives are, you know, they're, they're assistants. So their their lives are kind of run by uh, the people they work for. And so mm-hmm. to ease their own lives, they set up their bosses on, on dates with each other, basically. And then, obviously, the assistants of the bosses end up falling in love with themselves. It's an extremely, extremely charming movie, as you could imagine, because it's Glenn Powell and Zoe Deutsch, but uh, big recommend 
if you liked this, you'll like that too. What's up, Chris? Well, as long as we're all hyped on Glenn Powell right right now, we are. I, I did. We want are. To also we are hyped on Glenn Powell. He is in Apollo Ten and a Half with Richard. Yes, he is. Later directing, and I love to see that because Richard Linklater has a habit of using actors over and over again, but not all of them. But like he'll pick a select few. And so I was just happy that he's already been in a second Linklater movie because I could just feel it. He's going to be in another one, you know? <laughs> and what's funny is in 2016, so a few months after Everybody Wants Time came out, he played an astronaut in uh, Hidden Figures. He was John, John Glenn, Glenn in Hidden Figures, yeah, which is a movie I haven't really thought much much of in the last I six years. I enjoyed it. I, I liked it at the time, yeah. Very good. Yeah, yeah. And he was a good um, John Glenn, too, for that Yeah, movie. absolutely. And uh, it's, it's funny to think about... Um, they shot Top Gun, Top Gun Maverick mostly in, like, 2019, I think. Mm-hmm. They shot that, like, three years ago. Yeah. So it was supposed to come out in, like, the fall of 19. They pushed it back to spring of 20 so they could shoot more uh, fighter jet, like, second unit stuff on the fighter jets. And then it got pushed for COVID. So it's, like, they, it's basically coming out, like, three or four years after they shot yeah. it. And, like, I feel like Glenn Powell was about to pop off. And now, like, his pop-off has been kind of delayed. But I, I'm st- yeah. I, I haven't seen the movie yet, but I'm... Pretty confident he's, that if anybody, any of the young newcomers are going to pop off, it's going to be Glenn Powell. He's really good in it, is okay. what I'll say. He plays a well, similar character, but but you'll but, love to hear. It. Very good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I'm just like, like I said, I'm just rooting for everybody in this cast. But like the fact that I feel like Glenn Powell is probably on the cusp more than anybody else is. Uh, I just I just love everybody in this. And uh, so speaking of which, uh, Wyatt Russell. Speaking mm-hmm. of popping off, I feel like if, if anybody who's had a big career post Everybody Wants Some, it's probably Wyatt Russell, who's now evil Captain, Captain America. America? Is, yeah. is it, I, I never, I, I didn't uh, watch the show. He's not evil Captain America. Well, he's, he's, he's Captain he's, America he's, that makes a lot of mistakes, like actual America. <laughs> mm. Yeah, he's he's more like uh, kind of yeah, kind of more right wing. He plays America. John Walker, yeah. who in the comics yeah. is uh, U.S. agent, is uh, yeah. his character. In the comics. And he's in Captain America and the, in the no Falcon Soldier. and the Winter Soldier. Falcon right? and the Winter okay. Soldier, yeah. where he plays John Walker again, and, and who becomes Captain America uh, after the circumstances of Endgame. Mm-hmm. He was also in uh, the Woman in the Window, which was. Just a mind-bogglingly bad movie, uh, given the talent involved. That was on Netflix last year. I uh, just kind of dumped that and then never spoke of it again. But he's in that. Um, do you know who Wyatt Russell's parents are? Uh, I believe that it's uh, Kurt Russell is his dad. And, and uh, Kurt Russell's wife, who is also super famous, and is, her name's escaping me right now. Help me out, Josh. Goldie Hawn. Goldie Hawn. Thank Kurt you. Russell and Goldie <laughs> Hawn are Wyatt Russell's parents. Um... So that segues nicely. Uh, I was watching a uh, behind-the-scenes thing on the Blu-ray for Everybody Wants Some, and uh, I learned that all of the cast, when they were submitting their audition tapes, a portion of their audition tape had to be them filming them filming themselves playing baseball to make <laughs> sure that they like could be passable on camera, throwing a ball and swinging a bat and everything. And uh, Wyatt Russell, in the interview... Like, in the Talking Heads, like, mentioned the fact that, like, yeah, uh, my grandpa played professional baseball, my dad played professional baseball, and I was like, record scratch, hold the phone, your dad? I know who your dad <laughs> is, your dad did not play professional baseball. I looked it up. He did. Kurt Russell was a minor league ball player for the Yankees in, like, yeah. the 70s before he became an actor. I'm like, holy shit, could this guy be cooler? <laughs> yeah. That's Kurt awesome. Russell's a pro ball player, and Wyatt Russell, apparently, you know, he's got good form, at least. But So I wanted, I wanted to ask form. you guys... <laughs> 
Well, I wanted to ask you guys, like, when you're watching a sports movie, and it can be this movie or any sports movie, like, does their form, if it's bad, does it distract you? Do they have to, like, you know, how much does that matter to you? And we'll start with Grizz. Yes, it can, it can distract you. Uh, it certainly yeah. depends on how the sports sequences are being shot. Um, like, for example, in football movies, you'll frequently see uh, when they're playing, it's basically just them snapping the football and then cut to someone getting nailed, right? Yeah. Because you, that way they don't actually have to show you the game being played and they can, you know, just take whatever big hit they got and, and put it there and they can piece things together without it having to actual, actually make sense. They cut the around it. The game. They cut around they, the game. They, they cut around it, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so that they do that to avoid situations where their actors could get hurt or look like they don't know what they're doing. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, part, part of the reason I ask is I listen to a lot of Ringer podcasts and, you know, Bill Simmons, the head guy at the Ringer, he he's like notorious for being hard on sports movies and like how realistic the sports looks. And he uh, like The Natural, for example, <laughs> he talks about this a lot. He says that at the end of The Natural, The Natural ends with Robert Redford playing catch with his son. And according to Bill Simmons, the son's throwing motion is so bad, it almost ruins the entire movie for like <laughs> 10 seconds of showing this kid playing catch with his dad. And he's like, could you not find a kid who could actually throw baseball? Um, well, his dad was so the, the natural. You know, the son's his not dad the was the natural. Well, the natural should be able to teach at least how to throw a baseball. And it's funny that, like, in, like, Hill, Bill Simmons has, like, a running tally of, like, movies that, like, where clearly a guy can or can't play. Like, for example, um, uh, Hugo, you're listening to Blank Check right now. So, For the Love yeah. of the Game, Sam Raimi movie, For the Love of the Game, uh, Kevin Costner pitches a perfect game. That's the movie. Uh, apparently, they cut around John C. Riley a lot. John C. Riley's the catcher, and they cut around him so much because apparently John C. Riley can't throw a baseball. So. Right. Sorry, Dante. Yeah. But uh, it's Hugo. It is uh, kind this of movie a... or any movie. Yeah. What's what's your what's your okay for this, for this kind of thing? for this movie not knowing uh, that much about baseball other than having like seen a few highlights or stuff like that. I I know the very 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 basic rules, but I don't understand the sport that much. But they seemed fine. Like especially uh, what's his name, the guy who at one point does like just. Uh, does a home run i I can't remember his name uh McReynolds. tyler hoakland yeah McReynolds. yeah he he i mean i thought i thought he, they or he specifically looked really good i don't so, know so i'm glad you brought him up because he actually played college baseball at arizona state right. which is a really good baseball program they actually, he actually went to the well, college world go. series with them and then he played at uh uc irvine he transferred to uc irvine and like he was that makes debating sense. trying to go to the majors or become an actor and he went with acting instead but yeah he played he played college baseball at an elite university and he does have the sweetest looking swing in it, this movie. it looks good it brings yeah. me a lot of satisfaction yes but like it, it is kind of like there are there, i have seen some movies where like especially there, there might be like a basketball scene there's a sport that i understand where you see somebody throw a basketball really poorly and with terrible form and then the movie will just cut to a ball falling down in the net and that's just <laughs> every time is that's terrible which yeah. is like Make me maybe think of like the movie He Got Game uh, with with mm. Denzel who plays Ray Allen's dad, uh, and that movie was all right with that because like there was scenes where the camera would be on the basket and you could see Denzel actually you know shooting some good jump shots and and it, it did kind of add to the experience. But I, I, I do think that like to some extent it has to look at least a little bit good because otherwise it's just kind of yeah. weird. What's I up, did want to say that for this movie, I don't think it was necessary. 
No, for this movie, they could have they could have gotten away with with not showing the baseball, but the fact that they did, and had people who could look convincing, I think. Was well, and good. I think so. They, they, what they did, at least this was my my what I noticed was that the focus for on when they were playing, when they were actually practicing, the focus was on the pitchers, and the focus was on McReynolds hitting. Uh, yeah. And yes. and I think that was smart because. Uh, a pitcher can have a really weird windup and look goofy and still be a very good pitcher. And baseball fans, mm. base, baseball, base, you're going to tell me you've never seen a submarine arm, you know. That's like, not goofy form, that's though. That's goofy that, form. You come over the top. That's how you That's not a goofy windup. That's not a windup. <laughs> a submarine pitch is not part of the windup. Okay, what about Hideo Nomo? He had a, he had a goofy, <laughs> but he was one of a kind. Um, okay, I'll play the, the audience here and just say that I'm completely lost. I don't know. We've what seen, but it. also we've seen, but some also goofy like a, a, a goofy windup is one thing, but you need to have like a proper <laughs> release point and a proper throwing motion. You need I need to believe that you are throwing the ball 80 plus miles an hour, and if you have a goofy release point or windup, then I'm not going to believe that. They're still throwing. They're still hitting eighty in batting practice. I promise you. In uh, fact, Jay Niles claims I mean, yes, he's hitting ninety five. I mean, that, yes. Yes, that's, that's probably true in, in college and and in the professionals. But uh, I, my point was that like you can get away. I, I my my feeling on it was that as you can get away with a pitcher that looks a little weird because the pitchers do all have different windups, different releases, uh, and so like you. It, I don't know. Mentally, I can make the justification that even if the pitcher didn't look like a professional pitcher, that okay, fine, it, it works for the movie. But if you're like just sure. outright bad at baseball and you can't field a ground ball, you can't show a second baseman not being able to field a ground ball. So, <laughs> which is uh, funny you say that because uh, the guy who plays the second baseman, uh, whose name escapes me right now, uh, the black gentleman, um, he is not very good at baseball per the behind the scenes thing and him forming his audition tape. And you don't see him play any baseball at all in this movie. I don't believe he shows up at all in the, in the, uh, in the practice scene. So. J. Quentin Johnson. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So I think we see, I mean, we see Tyler Hoechlin swing. We see Blake Jenner pitch. We see uh, uh, Wyatt Russell pitch and we see Jay Niles pitch. So we really only see like really four players in yeah. their form and yeah. they're all passable. Uh, I don't think that Charlie Willoughby is thrown very hard. Uh, Wyatt Russell, considering his dad was a professional athlete, I feel like he needs to be have better form. So okay, so he my, had the my most threshold chill release for any pitch yes. ever. <laughs> my threshold for this, and when I watch this kind of thing, is they need to be at least as good as I would be doing the same thing. Fair, which I think right. is not a very high threshold. I mean, I, I'm I think I'm a gen, generally athletic person, but like I also like am not a pro athlete. I I do other things, but I still can swing a bat, throw a ball, shoot mm-hmm. a basket. So like. Actors, even though they're not pro athletes, they need to be at least as good as me, you know. And that's that's my threshold. And if they're worse than me, I'm like, hey, I could do better than that. Like, that's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I felt good about <laughs> Wyatt Russell. I, I felt good about Wyatt Russell's pitching motion because not because it was good pitching, but because it, his pitching motion felt like how Willoughby would throw, like because he's yeah, you know yeah, a pothead, you know, like, <laughs> yes, very like here you go. Who turns out real ball, two rivers? He's got river lungs. <laughs> um okay so that that brings me to the uh the specificity so like the they got i think enough they got the baseball stuff enough right so like you know that's like a detail that they needed to get right and they got it well enough right for me but like this there is a lot of details in this movie not only is it about like you know a baseball team which has its own kind of specifics to it but it's also a, a period piece and about college so there's a lot of as i mentioned earlier specificity here 
And I think that Linklater is really good about, you know, because a lot of his movies are set in a specific time and place that, like, specificity is, like, a big part of his charm. Uh, Apollo 10 and a half, certainly, the specificity there is a big part of the charm of that movie. Um, so I just wanted to ask, uh, you know, any any bits of specificity jump out to you? Uh, I, I have a few of my own that I, I can go first, or yeah, if you guys have anything. Great. Okay, I'll, I'll kick us off. So, um, Linklater mentioned in one of the quotes early on the camaraderie of college, and uh, I think the I, I played baseball through high school, so I was never on a college team, but I was a level below this. And, like, the camaraderie of the teammates, but also the competitiveness between them, I rang so, so true to me. And uh, they make a big point, actually, in the movie to, like, even comment on the competitiveness that, like, to play a sport at this level, you kind of have to be a little bit psycho and kind of have to be, like, obsessed with winning and losing. And, like, that comes down to, like, the pettiness and their small, like, competitions they have with each other in the house. Like, uh, uh, um... Mick, Mick, what, what, I forget his name again. Mick, Mick Reynolds. Mick Reynolds. Mick Reynolds, uh, Mick Reynolds yeah. freaks out when he when he loses ping pong to uh, Jake and like slaps himself multiple times. Like it's it's kind of like intense. And then uh, Nesbit plays Knuckles yeah. with the freshman and loses <laughs> Knuckles and was so so angry that he lost Knuckles. And like they're, they're all kind of psychos and kind of like over competitive. But like you kind of have to be like that in order to be an athlete at that level. But also like even though they're competitive, they all still cared about each other a lot. So like the camaraderie, competitiveness really really rang true to me and uh, i remember talking to my friend who played college baseball he played college baseball at mit so he's you know wicked smart uh he also commented on the competitiveness of these guys and how like that was like so true to his experience as a college athlete um grizz any any bit of specificity jump out to you that you liked did jump out to me was the time and place this was set uh it's not this is a, a college town that this is you know taking place in it's not a uh massive metropolitan area by any means right uh so i felt like that was very authentic the way their house was their houses were kind of off on their own and then there were parties at other houses that were way off on their own because that's not what the city was originally built for but it's also not a massive uh metropolitan area so that that was really cool and also how at most like a small a a small main street with like restaurants and bars and stuff that they eat at like that's a very college town aesthetic and it had they had three bars Right. Yeah. Now, like, obviously, you know, where we went to school, there were more than three bars in, in town. Not much more, but not but <laughs> not exactly, much more though. But not yeah. that much more. Like, but yeah. uh, and and they all fit a, a niche, right? You had mm-hmm. your you had your country bar, you had your uh, uh, disco bar in this movie, you know, and then you had uh, the where the punks hung out, and yeah. uh, which I think is also another example of great specificity for this time period that they're taking place. Because this is a, a a time where music is changing significantly, and there's you the disco is the more mainstream and the counterculture coming disco in. disco punk yeah yeah and, and this this is the the height of that uh, of them contradicting each other and I did put, love put a pin in that yeah that, put a oh, pin in that okay, we're gonna come back to that later yeah yeah but yeah so that's what I know that's what stood out to me yeah uh, Hugo I was anything say for the same you thing, any yeah. bits of specificity uh, I was gonna say the same thing about the music specifically but it's um it's more kind of like it's very hard to explain for me like the the way these people act is so specific to their age uh, in mm-hmm. a way that yeah. sometimes movie don't completely nail like I, I you you can tell that Jake specifically acts very differently com- like depending who he's with 
Oh, yeah. And I yeah. like that because yeah. it, it's something that you do in your early 20s because you want to kind of fit in with different groups of people. You're not completely sure maybe of your own identity, your own interests and stuff. And the way he's different, even in this short span of three days, depending on, on the situation he's in, I, I thought was very, very cool, very interesting. Like he's always open to like kind of mingling with everyone, which, which is very similar to Days and Confused as well because I think the main point of main, Days and Confused was kind of like, this central character who kind of fits in with everyone, but doesn't completely fit in with all of them. And, and he's very much the same. And, and, and I like that, but, but yeah, for the specificity specifically, which is a weird thing to say is I was going to say the music as well. Cause I, I, I found yeah. the, the idea of going to the different bar. Uh, okay. Now we're country for this now. And now we're punk. We're punks for, for this. He, now. Says, and, he says we're yeah. punks for a night. To, to and then we're going to be theater cool. kids next night. We need to wear a weird yeah. hat or something. That was very cool. Which is so college. <laughs> yeah. And that's 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 why I put a pin in it, and we're going to talk about it later. But, like, this is a world of possibilities. Mm-hmm. You can be anybody. You're, you you know, it's the first week of college. Class haven't started yet. No one knows you here. So you can kind of choose what kind of person you want to be, and you have the freedom to do that, whether it's country, disco, punk, yeah, baseball, and, and theater, Jake, et cetera. Jake not only says... Oh, we're punks for a night. He also says it's this is this is cool. This is kind of making me question my own identity, and mm-hmm. which I thought yeah, was yeah. cool because you're early twenties. You kind of yeah. try stuff. Yeah. Uh, which brings me back to my last bit of specificity. Speaking of the theater kids, um, so Zoe Deutsch plays Beverly, and she is a, a freshman theater major. And uh, Grizz, I'm assuming you you hung out with some theater people in your sure in your time being in Glee Club, etc. And like the way that Beverly talks. I recognize so much like she's got kind of like kind of a sing-songy voice and like she kind of like voice yeah 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 it's like it's hard to really like describe what it is but it's exactly how theater kids talk how like it i guess the best way to say it is it's kind of a sing-songy voice and like i don't know just the fact that they nailed that so so well i'm like yeah that's i know who this person is and i've met this person and that's so nice that's so great um okay so uh you know i I mentioned that link ladder is great about specificity so i want to talk about link ladder in general, uh, we, we kind of already talked about him uh, a good bit, kind of in the what have we been watching kind of thing. But I just wanted to real quickly uh, breeze through what movies have you seen and, and what do you think of them? So, uh, Hugo, real quick, what, what Link Ladder movies have you seen? I've seen, so I've seen the Before Trilogy, obviously we were talking about them before. Level 3, like, to death for very different reasons and for very similar reasons at the same time. Um, I just think those are some of the most remarkable things that have been made in 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 films in the last 30 years or something because they're just so unique there's nothing like them i really enjoyed dazed and confused um i will say slightly more than this just because like in some ways the high school experience of of especially the summer after the last year of high school is more similar over here because at that point you know all your friends in your hometown and you go around to parties and stuff whereas college it isn't really a thing. You kind of go to a city to go to university, but that college in the same way that it is in the US doesn't really happen. So it, it's less kind of relatable to me. Um, and I also watched School of Rock, which I don't know, it's it's one of those movies that I saw when I was 10 years old and, and I thought it was awesome. And it kind of shaped the way that I was looking at, like trying to, you know, listen to old music. And, and Have you I seen it recently? I've, Have you seen it recently? I don't think I've seen it in the last five years now. Uh, you should. It's a perfect yeah. movie. It's so it's, good. Yeah, I remember it as it's being so good. It, really it holds good, up, and I feel like I would like well. it more if I watched yeah. it now because I would relate to the teachers more now than I 
before only related to the kids and now I would have something more with that but that's and maybe, I also... maybe 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 top five best matching of a character and oh, yeah. person playing him oh yeah I was Jack like Black. I was yeah. I remember being in middle school and just showing people the clip of Jack Black just begging Led Zeppelin to let them let let them use Immigrant Song for the movie Immigrant Song yeah yeah, his Led Zeppelin before that movie famously would not let Very anyone yeah, use stingy. their music yes. at all. Like after that, they kind of cooled on that a bit. They, they you, their songs have been used for commercials and movies and for Thor, but that was the movie that unlocked it. And and I remember just going around showing people, oh, did you, have you seen this clip of Jack Black asking Led Zeppelin? It's so great. You have to watch this movie. Um, and I also so I love that. But I also watched a scanner a scanner darkly, which is kind of a more, I, I'm sure kind of more but you didn't watch that him. for richard linklater you watched that for someone else right no i was i was going through <laughs> like uh lists of of like um cyberpunk movies and i happened upon this this movie directed by linklater which i i watched this after seeing the before trilogy and starring keanu reeves and i was like oh great this is perfect for me that's um, why that's why i assumed you were watching it was part of yeah. some keanu rewatch no 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 it wasn't no um but Oh, strange film. I don't think I loved it because I, I think I wanted it to be more sci-fi than it is. And it kind of is and it isn't. And it, it, it it's the only Linklater movie that I felt was a bit meandering because it compared to the other ones, it felt like at the beginning there was a very specific point And then it does the Linklater thing where it's more of a hangout movie. So it didn't really gel for me. Um, but it was interesting. And I also... I think it's weirdly one of Keanu's best, like, just dramatic performances. Really weird and good in that one. Um, so, yeah, this is a movie that I've seen. I haven't seen Boyhood, but I really want to. It's just three you hours see Boyhood. Yeah. yeah, I need to see that at this point because I've seen everything else he's made almost, at least the major ones. Uh, for me, that's probably top five or ten most important movies, like, that that had yeah. a, an effect on me when I saw it. Uh, it's hard to really put into words what that movie meant to me. Grizz, more quickly than Hugo, what movies have you seen <laughs> from the Ladder? Before Trilogy, Days of Confused, Boyhood, School of Rock, Apollo 10 and a Half. We've talked about all of them Very already. Good. I enjoy yes. them all. <laughs> uh, I've seen the Before Trilogy. Love it. I've seen Days of Confused. I don't have much of a relationship to that movie. I've only seen it once or twice. I don't really have like a working knowledge of it. Like I've, mm-hmm. I have a working knowledge of this. Like This is my Days of Confused, basically. Uh, School of Rock, perfect movie. Boyhood, could not put into words what it means to me. Apollo and a half. Very good. Um, I should probably seek out more of his stuff, like, given what Boyhood meant to me and what the Before Trilogy means to me and how much I love this movie, but I just kind of haven't. Like, he is, he does kind of have his highs and lows, Linklater. Mm-hmm. After I what watched, after I watched this movie, every, Everybody Wants Some, I kind of realized, you know what, I think I just really love Richard Linklater. Because, like, I do too. I, I yeah. again, all, almost all, all of the Before Trilogies, I, I gave, you know, four out of five stars. Uh, and you know some people will have it higher I'm sure than, than I but like but that's and then I started thinking I was like I think basically every Richard Linklater movie I've seen has gotten at least four out of five stars this guy is just I just well, love this director <laughs> well he he does have like some movies that I won't call them paycheck movies because that's disrespectful but I mean like there are movies that like are very very him Days mm-hmm. Confused the Before Trilogy Boyhood this being very very Richard Linklater E which we'll talk about in a second then there are other movies like Where'd You Go Bernadette or Fast Food Nation, or uh, even Bad News Bears to an extent, the remake. Like that. Like I don't think I'm not saying he's taking them for a paycheck, but like they they are more like studio movies that he's a hired gun for rather than like him bringing. You know, I'm not certain, not saying he didn't bring his personal stuff to that, but like I don't think of Where'd You Go, Bernadette, when I think of Richard Linklater movies, for right. example. 
you know? So, um, I, I don't, like, feel much of an inclination to seek those out, but, like, the stuff that's, like, really him, like, I should see Scanner Darkly, I should see Waking Life, and I haven't yet. Um, I should see all those, because, like, like you said, like, I, I really, really like everything that, that he does. Um, so, I mentioned the, the Link Ladder-esque movie, so, like, uh, Hugo, what's, like, what do you see, like, what is a, a, what, what's the overarching things in his, in his movies or in his style? Um, yeah, I think, we, we talked about the that idea of making you fall in love with with relationships, which is something that he does so well. I think the the the, the relationships that he had, not just just like uh, romantic relationships, but just relationships between characters in his movies are kind of unmatched because they feel very natural. Like even if they develop over three days or something, it it does kind of feel like Jake gets to know these people in the same way that you would in college. That you would instantly kind of become like buds and go out and drink and, and kind of have a working relationship already over three days, which you wouldn't if you were older, maybe. Um, and another thing is, like, he writes very wordy, um, like, complex dialogue that sometimes has long monologues. But he, mm-hmm. the way he directs and the way he picks his actors, he makes it feel very natural. Um, we were talking about, uh, what's his name? Glenn Sorry, the... the Glenn Powell, I think he's a perfect Linklater actor because I love he's him in able this so much like, because he's, so he, he's able to say so many things so quickly, but it doesn't feel like he's reading a script at all. Like it feels like that character talks that way, and it I think it's very hard for an actor to be very wordy and not feel unnatural or or a little kind of it. It doesn't feel like they're acting at all. It it very, really feels like the character in his movies are really characters and they're kind of just like that they kind of speak like that which is not completely yeah. natural but it feels real even, in even, the context of yeah, the movie even when the dialogue is a little bit stilted it still feels natural yeah, like it does i don't, I don't really know how to explain like, it in before sunrise they're just the first time you meet a girl and you spend a day with her you're not going to be talking about philosophy all day right but it but it but it feels completely normal and 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 real in the context of the movie yes. like there it's there's something like if you think about it rationally that dialogue is is it might even you might even think oh this is overwritten but it's not because he makes it work and i don't really know yeah. what it is but it it does work for me the Riz. writing is uh it reminds me of the same way i feel about aaron sorkin's writing where i know mm-hmm. it's not how people actually talk but it feels right in the world that's being presented to us. Uh, yeah. And so I, 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 even though, like, I oftentimes, you've heard me say it a bunch of times in our episodes, that I don't like when movies get overly philosophical for, for no reason. Uh, but it kind of works in these movies and in Richard in the Before Trilogy as well. In, in, in Everybody Wants Them, though, it really works because who hasn't been to a party where some college kid was waxing poetic about they're in personal philosophies it happens all the time so it it really does fit the world perfectly yeah the other the other small thing that i want to mention is like we think about his movies very much being dialogue driven and and relationship driven and that kind of thing but i think he's sneakily really interesting as a filmmaker just as a visual filmmaker i think the way he moves the camera the way he kind of follows his characters and and it, it it's never uninteresting to look at his movies despite the fact that they're very simple setups like it's just two people walking down the streets or people having a chat in a bus but it the way he d- 
puts it on the camera and the way he doesn't cut or the way that he does cut is always visually stimulating, which is not always true for films that are largely like if you get, if you take um, another, you know, director that came up at the same time, like um, Kevin Smith, his early movies that I uh, clerks is a movie. That I really enjoy clerks is a movie where the camera is still and the characters are talking and Linklater just doesn't do that. It's very dialogue driven, but it's always interesting visually as well. Yeah. Grizz. Uh, one thing Linklater I wanted stuff. to touch on for this overarching things you could say about Linklater's movies and his style is uh, about what they're about. Uh, in large part, it's aspirational stories of youth. So you see that in movies like School of Rock, where it's about you know kids coming into their own and, and deciding who they want to be and being proud of who they are. Uh, you see that in the uh, in Before Sunrise. Uh, uh, you see, they're they're youthful, they're young. This is a new relationship. Uh, the future is all potential, you know. So you, you see that in that, and then you, of course you see that in, in this movie because again, that you know, this is college. This college is the time where your potential is entirely up to you and whatever you yep. want it to be. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also the nostalgia, and I mm-hmm. I think that uh, you know you can definitely feel that with Days and Confused, and everybody wants some, uh, and even like school boyhood rock. even. And Boyhood and uh, Apollo Ten and a Half. Uh, you can tell that Richard Linklater has very strong and powerful memories from his childhood and his, you know, in his youthful days. And it's not that he's a terribly old man now, for that matter. It's just that he, he, he does have very vivid recollection of the world that he was in at those times, and he presents them very well on film. Yes, Josh. I was going to mention this during the specificity section. I forgot, but you just brought it up. Uh, there's an extra on the Blu-ray for everybody wants some. It's a little, like, three or four minute short called Rickipedia. And apparently <laughs> on set, they called Rick, Richard Linklater Rickipedia because he just knew, he has, like, an encyclopedic knowledge of every detail of what life was like in August of 1980 to the point that, like, um, they'll have a, they, they have a period car on set and he'd be like, well, that's actually a 78, not an 80. So then we need to beat it up a little bit more because that's, that's been on the road for a little while. Or like a song will play and be like, well, that song was actually, that actually charted in 79. So like they'd, they'd probably be sick of it at that point. And like, you know, uh, he'd be telling the guys like, okay, no high fives. High fives weren't a thing yet. and Or, you know, hugs weren't a thing yet. So like you got to, you know, this and that. And like he just corrected every little tiny little nuance of what life was like in August of 1980. Just like knew that offhand. So like, you know, this is semi-autobiographical, but he does have like quite a memory of like what, his life was like, and he just puts that on screen and it, it really works, I think. And the yeah. last thing that I think is an overarching uh, theme of his is his movies all, well, not, I shouldn't say all, in large part are slice of life movies. You get a segment of time mm-hmm. and you get to see and feel what the world was like at that brief moment. So it's whether it be one day and days confused, a couple of days or, or a week rather in this movie leading up to the start of classes, um, you know, it's all or, or in the sun in the before trilogy, it's just a span of you know twenty four hours. Maybe a hours, few hours, even know, less. Even less. The, than 24 the second hours. movie takes place in real time, basically. Yeah. The second movie takes place yeah. more or less in real time, which is the second movie so is like a few cool. hours. Yeah, yeah. it's okay. And so yeah. it's very brief segments, and but you're getting in uh, Boyhood too. Boyhood is just like yeah. you know, here's here's, here's a, a day here's when a he's six years here's old. A here's segment. a day when he's ten. Here's a day when he's twelve. You know. Um, and it gives you kind of a cool lens to look at these characters. Uh, it's almost like going to a zoo. You're getting to look through the glass at what their existence is at this moment, and then you as the viewer, you leave. But 
you also know, especially with the Before Trilogy, that you can come back and you're going to get to look at another segment of their life uh, and you kind of digest what's changed. It's really cool, and it's like I said before, it's something I wish a lot more directors would attempt to do, uh, is tell stories that span greater periods of time. Uh, and, you know, it because it's... It, you know, people always get hung up, oh, well, who's, who are they going to cast as so-and-so because he's, he's older now if they're doing another movie. Like, no, just... Just use the same actor. He's old now. Use that, you know, or yeah, you know, plan out. I just I, I have such an appreciation for Linklater's approach, knowing I want to do this with these movies. So I'm going to start now. And these are my guys and I'm going to use them forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I just love that. And also he, he's, he's certainly really able to get you to know these people in in the small segments of their lives that you're. Uh, privy to it, you kind of get a sense of who they are despite the fact that you're only with them for you know a day three days or whatever it is yeah i think he's a director who's really obsessed with time in a way that mm-hmm. a few directors are that i think i really respond to that in his movies i mean that's obvious that's the text of boyhood and that's the text of the before trilogy but um yeah it's in I this think one it's, as well like it's it's three days before class starts like that's almost a timer that you put, get to just the put a way. very brief pin in that i'll come right back to that in like one second just let me mm-hmm. go through my uh link ladder uh hallmarks sure. and for, so for me he is a the quintessential gen x filmmaker in that mm-hmm. he's kind of like got like these characters and movies themselves that are kind of a little aimless and like kind of just like talk a lot of bullshit and they have like this faux philosophical dialogue but then like it kind of it, it's before it becomes grading it kind of becomes profound you know, it kind of walks the line of, like, annoying and profound and usually tips for me into the profound direction. Um, which is why my last segment I want to talk about any profundity you see in this movie. And so let me ask a leading question based on what Hugo's just talking about. Why do you think that clock is there? Oh, well, let, let me before I say, the movie opens with Jake pulling up to the baseball house on the first on Thursday before classes start. And a title card comes up that says uh, um, Thursday, August, whatever, 1980. Classes begin in three days and 20 hours. And then, like, every morning of this movie, it puts that title card up again and tells you it counts down the days and hours until classes start. Hugo, why do you think the movie does that? Um, I just... First, I think it's signposting, which I think is another thing yes. that is that is cool that he does. Like, it, he kind of sets your expectations for what the movie is going to be. Um, and you're kind of waiting for when are we going to get the next title card and then in the final day oh wait this is going on longer now it's the morning it's it's building to something and then you get to it and it's like oh 6 a.m class starts in three hours and that's that's Mm -hmm. where the movie ends kind of you're expecting the final thing to be class starting and it yeah but i think the idea of of setting it before class is is very much to give these characters like these are the three days where they are completely detached from their previous lives and kind of the life that they're going to have in college. They, they haven't started university yet, but they're completely free to do whatever they want, be whoever they are, engage in whatever relationships they want to engage. And it, there's something so interesting about telling just these three specific days. And you can tell that it almost feels like he wants to relive the fact that he had this, this moment of complete freedom where he could just kind of, be whatever he wanted and and after after that there's more structure to life um so i didn't yeah. think that's why it's it's, it's so interesting you're, you're basically saying what i have which is like it serves a narrative function of orienting you in the story mm-hmm. so like you know where we are and where we're headed basically it basically yeah. kind of promises you this is going to last until that 
set point. Once the timer goes off, then the movie's over, basically. But also, like like you just alluded, like it, it's it's kind of underscoring the fleetingness of this mm-hmm. good time. Like this is a a three day weekend where they have no responsibilities and nothing holding them down, and they can do whatever they want. But this isn't gonna last. Like the responsibilities of college are just over the horizon. And just over that, the next horizon is the responsibility of life after college and adulthood and the next 40 years before you retire. But that's not quite here yet. We got three days before the real world begins. And we have three days to just have a good time and be alive and get to know each other and get drunk and have sex. And it's mm-hmm. great. But like the, the stopwatch on it really does underscore the fact that this is a temporary thing. This is a, a, a fun thing, but it's not going to last forever. Uh, Grace, you got anything? Anything to add on the on the clock? Uh, nothing. Nothing more on the clock. No. Okay. Uh, any any profound stuff in this movie? That I mean, I'm gonna. I got a longer spiel about the profundity and the time and everything. But anything you got about the profoundness? Uh, I mean, just kind of uh, one thing that stood out to me was uh, when Wyatt Russell exits the film. Willoughby's exit of the movie. Yes. And I know you want to for talk about sure. This as well. um, yes. He leaves and he says, uh, "We're here for a good time, not a long time." Uh, mm-hmm. and I think that ties in very well actually with the ticking clock, uh, because it is again, underscoring how this, how fleeting this is. And that when we find out later that Willoughby is actually a, you know, 30 year old man, uh, and he's just been going from school to school as long as he can, uh, trying to keep playing baseball because he doesn't want to let go of this fleeting moment. Uh, and yes. so it's interesting that when we talk about how much nostalgia Linklater has, uh, and then you have a character like this that is literally holding on to a, a time that has, has since passed him by. Uh, and so, I don't know, I, there's something profound about that. <laughs> Can I do my long spiel? Yes, please. Okay. So, uh, so I've seen this movie a number of times now, probably five, six times, something. So, like, I kind of have digested it, and I, I kind of think I get what Linkletter's going for here. And so there's like a few key scenes I want to point to to make this larger point. Uh, first scene is it's about halfway through the movie when like Jake and Plum and Finn are just kind of like walking along campus, and then Jake runs into a player, a, a friend he used to play baseball with in high school, the the punk kid. But right before Jake finds his old friend Justin uh, Plum, the catcher says something along the lines of like, "What are all these people doing here? Like I know I'm here, I'm here to play baseball." But what are these guys doing here? And then he says something along the lines of like, you know, they're just going to be some guy doing some job is what he says about the other people at college who aren't there to play baseball. And they also say at that somewhere in that conversation, like, can you imagine living your life when there's not even a possibility that you would make the major leagues, which I thought was very interesting. And so so that's one scene that I want to put a pin in. And then uh, the scene that we already alluded to where uh, – Jake talks to Finn about how we're punks for a night, how last night we were disco guys and we we're country guys. Now we're punk guys. I'm having an identity crisis. Then I want to also talk about Willoughby's exit. So the scene where Willoughby gets caught and they realize he's a 30 year old man who's trying to hold on to a, a time gone by. And then I also want to mention uh, Jake's last scene with, when he's on the river with Beverly, right? Before, like three hours before classes start, he talks about the essay he wrote to get him to college and how he compared himself to Sisyphus and how he finds meaning in baseball, the same way that Sisyphus found meaning in pushing the rock up the hill. And then the last thing in the movie is Jake in class, where his professor writes, frontiers are, what, what is it? Frontiers are where you find them, or frontiers are where you encounter them? What's the, yes, I don't remember was, the exact line. Yeah, frontiers are was, where you encounter either them. Either frontiers like or borders, and, and where you yeah. found them. It's frontiers. Yeah. It was frontiers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely frontiers. Yes. So, 
what I want to, the, the, I think the running theme through all these is that, um, you know, as I mentioned, the ticking clock kind of implies that this is a, a fleeting moment before life really begins, whether that be your college classes or your adult life after college. Like this is a fleeting time before responsibilities hit you yet. But, you know, um, it's a good time that's not going to last forever. But it's also, you know, as we also alluded earlier, college is a time of possibility. You know, Jake has his whole, not only his whole college experience ahead of him, but his whole life ahead of him. And here in this place, he can be anybody because no one knows him. He can be a disco guy. He can be a cowboy. He can be a punk. He can embrace his weirdness, like Willoughby says, during their, their pool game or something like that. And even, like, the major leagues are still a possibility, even if they really aren't. Like, it, it's interesting. Again, I played baseball in high school, and, like, no one I played ball with got anywhere beyond, I think, like, they, they a few guys played on the college teams, but no one made the majors. But, like, if you're 17 and you're still playing baseball, a small part of you still believes, well, there's, like, a possibility. Mm-hmm. Even though it's not really going to happen. Like, yeah, I mean, at least I'm still playing. And, you know, so when those guys say, like, I can't imagine living my life when there's no possible way I'd ever be in the major leagues. None of those guys are going to be in the major leagues. But, like, the fact that they're still playing, they, like, consider themselves better than these other people at college who will just grow up to be some guy working some job, you know? So, like, it's a world of possibility, e- even though that possibility is probably gone. But it's still, you know, kind of there. And And Charlie Willoughby is holding on to all this. Like, that's why he's conning these schools so he can like live that life of possibility even though he's 30 and his life of responsibility should have already started he doesn't want to acknowledge that so he's trying to perpetually stay in this he's ignoring the ticking clock and he's trying to perpetually stay in this weekend before his life really began when that world of possibility was still available to him because you know really (laughs) the, the 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 darker side of this movie is that life is a series of closing doors where, like, as you're growing up, like, you have all these possibilities of who you can be and what you can be, and then slowly those doors close, and then eventually you're just living the life that you're going to live, you know, mm-hmm. which is a, a sobering realization and, and something that these characters in this movie are trying to fight off, basically. Um, but the doors haven't closed for Jake yet. You know, someday he will just be some guy with some job, but not yet, not as long as there's still time on that clock that keeps coming up in the bottom right corner of the screen. But, you know... Coming back to the scene of him and Beverly and the conversation about Sisyphus, like, even once that timer runs out, you know, the point of that conversation with Beverly is that, you know, meaning is what we assign. I think that's a line Beverly says, you know. Yeah. Some guy with some job is Sisyphus. You know, Sisyphus is some guy with some job. And if he can find meaning in that and find passion in that, then there's there's nothing wrong with being some guy with some job if it's, you can find your own meaning, you know. It's almost like he's saying this is based... And I think he kind of hints at it as well. He says, like... This is baseball now for me, but it doesn't yes. it doesn't necessarily feel like it has to be baseball. Like it could be something else as well. Baseball is what he's finding meaning in right now. Yeah. And like him and his teammates scoff at the idea of there ever being any anything in their lives that's meaningful to them besides baseball. But there will be. There will be. You yeah, know, sure. I believe there will be. And and that's that's the, the last scene is, you know, we make our own meaning and we set our own limitations. Frontiers are where you find them. So like even if. Jake does not play Major League Baseball, which he will not. He can still, like, he's setting up a frontier for himself where, like, after college, my life is over because I'm some guy with some job. That's that's the end of the road for me. But frontiers are where you find them. You can find new passion in something else, and then the world is your oyster again. You know, the, the world is open to possibilities again. And I, I find that all very beautiful yep. and very mm-hmm. profound. Yep. And, you know, you kind of have to, like, tangle with a few things to get to dig just below the surface to find these things. But, like... I think that's all pretty great. It's I think very that's great uplifting. stuff. Yes, it's, I agree. There's um, 
I think another common thing about his work is that it it's on the surface. On the surface, it's like oh, we're hanging out with these characters, and it's 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 cool and it's fun and and uplifting, and and we're having a good time. But the, but there's always like sort of this underlying kind of melancholia and 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 a kind of it's almost as he's aware that this feeling of nostalgia and happiness is 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 fleeting and it doesn't go on forever and it's just on the surface and there's 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 more complex stuff underneath and you kind of have this feeling like if he did sequels to all his movies they would end up like before midnight where at some point you kind of have to get out of that sort of beautiful imaginary reality where you know you're falling in love or you're playing baseball in college or or whatever it is reality Um, sets in eventually yeah, yeah and it it it's an underlying thing in his work. And I think this one does it as well. Like there are moments of, of sort of, of reflection, even though maybe the characters are not necessarily doing it because they're just having fun, but, but you get it through them. Cause maybe you're seeing it from a different point of view. And yeah, it, it's, it's interesting that when you talked about before for philosophical in the dialogue, it's like the films are almost at their deepest when, when they're not talking philosophically, it's more like, the implication of what is actually happening in the movie and that the sillier parts sometimes can be more profound than, than the actual parts where they're kind of 20 year olds talking about philosophy and life. So, yeah. Yeah. Good movie. I don't think it's going to get any better than that. So let's (laughs) rank it. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to, I was going to go to final thoughts. So anybody have any final thoughts before we rank or are we just going to rank the thing? I mean, it's a, it's a great movie. I'm so happy that you, uh, uh, it gave us this assignment, Josh, because I, I probably would have missed this. Uh, and yeah, I, I, now, else seemed I, to. I, I truly loved it. I, I, I can't wait uh, to encourage more people to try it. <laughs> good, 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 good. I haven't put any thought into my ranking yet, so I'm kind of going off the cuff here. But I think I I think I, I think I think I got it. Yeah, I think I'm. Yeah. OK. Um, so let, let's start with Grizz. Where do you want to put this? All right, so I had to give this some thought, uh, but ultimately I have decided, and I think this may surprise uh, you guys, uh, maybe it won't, we'll find out, but I'm going to put it directly above The Thing on my list, which was was number 24, uh, I think. And so now this it was number twenty four. Yeah. So indeed. now everybody wants some. Is my twenty four. I I truly love so, this. It, it, this the feeling, the emotions that this movie gave me. It, it it's something I'm special. I'm glad it put, it just puts me in such a great mood too. Uh, that's not what you said, just, but it puts me in a great yeah, mood. Yeah. So I'm I feel good. I, I felt good after having watched it. Yes. So for Grizz, uh, Wyatt Russell just beats out his dad, Kurt Russell, <laughs> and everybody wants some. Goes right above the beautiful thing. symmetry. Uh, is what I got there. Yes. <laughs> It's like a it's like a poem it rhymes hugo what do you got um the one thing we didn't mention was when we were talking about nostalgia he, the movie literally begins the first shot of the movie I'm, I'm surprised you didn't mention this josh but the first thing of the movie is a seven uh, it's kind of a late 70s uh, 80s car and a cassette being put in the cassette player and my sharona plays and i just Hell think that's great. yes I was so like, good. oh, yes. we're starting with this. We're in for a ride. And yes. I loved it. I really it enjoyed it. It only gets better. Yeah. And I have the movie pretty high on my list. I actually have it at my number 19, right 19. below Scream and In Bruges. 
and You're above Josh so happy right now. <laughs> another round and Jackie Brown. All right, yeah. So let me uh, drag <laughs> for the listeners. Josh is just smiling because he's happy that we enjoyed this. I, I'm I'm always pumped that you guys enjoy the, my yeah. suggestions because you don't always like. Uh, we all remember Sweeney Todd. No one likes Sweeney Todd. <laughs> that's, okay. That, that's okay. Um, let's see. Where did I put this? Did I put this? Okay, I put this uh, at the exact same spot Grizz did at, at 24. Uh, so for me, no. it's just below 127 hours, Lawrence Raby and Jackie Brown. And then I have Everybody Wants Some, just ahead of Shaun of the Dead, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, and Rudy. So... It beats out Rudy for the college experience movie, which is kind of messed up because Rudy was close to my college experience, too. Um, it's literally our college, so, Josh. <laughs> yes. Yes, 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 yes. So let's see. Uh, doing Josh doesn't math. care about Notre Dame anymore. That's what I'm hearing. Really? That's, He's moved that's, on. LA's yeah. Get out of here. Man. Get out of here, you <laughs> Italian menace, you. Um, let's see. So hold on. I'm, I'm sorting. I'm doing our new math, and I'm sorting. So that means everybody wants some goes... Number 24. So right where Grizz and I put it. It goes to number go. 24. Just just below Citizen Kane and The Lighthouse. And then a really different movie, Everybody Wants Some. And then John Wick and Jackie Brown. Uh, just below Everybody Wants Some. So yeah. 24. Ooh, I did some math wrong somewhere. Okay, no, no, no. That's fine. Um, so yeah. That's Everybody Wants Some. Uh, this is a good episode. I'm glad you guys like the movie. Like I said, I'm, I'm very excited whenever you guys like movies that I like. Because I like liking things, and I like sharing things that I like. And he likes liking with other that people like other them. people like the things he likes. <laughs> yes, yes. Speaking of. Uh, so speaking of speaking of liking things, uh, next week, I need to confirm this, so I don't, don't hold me to this, but I think next week we may have a guest, uh, my friend Jack, okay. from Childhood. And uh, Jack wanted to do the movie Wayne's World, which is a movie I have seen. That's maybe top five movies that I've seen the most uh, in terms of viewings. Uh, I've just, I know it in my bones, my DNA, and I love it immensely. It's a big part of me. So uh, whether it's next week or a future week, we're going to talk about Wayne's World with Jack. I hope it's next week because I love Wayne's World. But for now, let's say next week, Wayne's World. Party time, excellent. Have party time, excellent swing. Is Wayne's World? Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody. I have not seen this, but I'm looking at. Is Wayne's World the one with Bohemian Rhapsody? Yes, it is indeed the one with Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes, That's already. I believe the I like. song. The song charted 15 years after release because because of, of this movie. That's <laughs> awesome. Okay. Yes. Which Great. we will talk about. Yeah, I'm sure we will talk about it. We cannot talk about Wayne's World without talking about Bohemian Rhapsody, but that will be next week or <laughs> some other time very soon. Uh, Hugo, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at Hugo underscore Pinai on Twitter. Is that my thing? I don't even remember. Yep, Yep. Uh, it is. Yeah, Um, and you can find me at Hugo Pinai on Letterboxd. I recently just made a complete list that I will update uh, right after the podcast of all the film to remembers ranked by us. So uh, you can find that uh, at RTF underscore Pod, not RTF Pod. Uh, It's a pin tweet. So if you want to check out the whole list, you can find it there. Grizz, internet, go. Just find me Good Game Grizz everywhere. Josh? Okay. <laughs> good Game Grizz on Raya. Good Game Grizz on uh, the Bank America app. Okay, well, good maybe, not, maybe, on... not, maybe not Good Game Grizz everywhere, but just search Grizz. <laughs> I'm going to be one of them. Good Game Grizz on, on OnlyFans. Just think. DM yeah. every person named Grizz you find on every stream and every platform, <laughs> and one of them might be Grizz. You're Grizz. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Sloop Josh B. You can find me on YouTube, Movies I Love and So Can You. 
Um, yeah, that's probably it. You can follow us on the on Twitter uh, at RTF underscore pod and uh, send mean DMs to everyone at the at a handle close to that that isn't us, so they'll get off that handle and we can have it instead. Uh, and we got anything else? Are we closing up? Nope, we got to close Chris? it up. That's it. Okay. All right. Tune in next week for Wayne's World, maybe. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye.